welcome to the Profusion Data Podcast Christmas Special. Get those jingle bells jingling in the background there. <laughs> Hi, I'm Henrik Normark, and as usual, I'm joined by David Reinstein. Merry Christmas, David. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Feliz Merry, Navidad. Merry everything. Yes. <laughs> Merry New Year. How are you? What are you up to? Well, um, be my first Christmas in Canada. Um, and... Uh, I don't know what the local traditions are, but I guess I'll be discovering them soon. You're closer to the big man himself in Canada, I think. Yes. Mar- eh, marginally. Yeah, marginally. Yes. What do you normally do for Christmas? Uh, I don't really, I'm not really a Christmas guy. I don't really do Christmas, didn't grow up with it, but I usually get up to a lot of fun stuff over the holidays. Well, you might not think of it as fun, but you know, for me, it's fun. <laughs> I, you know, take some phone calls. Read some books, practice the tuba. Sometimes I'll, t- you know, I used to go to Tenerife. That was great. Those, those were long, long days ago. The Hawaii of Europe. Yeah, more or less. But it's affordable, actually. I shouldn't tell everyone. It's terrible, guys. Don't ever go there. <laughs> <laughs> What's your plans for this, uh, Christmas to New Year? Um, I, actually, all of my Christmases kind of revolve around food. Oh, yeah. Um, my my parents and I growing up, uh, we'd spend hours and hours cooking and all these different dishes. And mm, love food. My dad would make some stuff from Sweden, and my mom would make some stuff from Mexico, and and uh, yeah, it was always a lot of fun. Although quite a bit of work in the kitchen, like you know, hours and hours and hours just spent in the kitchen. But you know, it's, it's part of the the joy of the season, I would say. What's your favorite dish? Is there a particular? I don't know if it's a Swedish or a Mexican. <laughs> Uh, Christmas dish. What's well, your favorite specifically dish? in the context of Christmas, and I don't think this is particularly Christmassy necessarily, but it's one of the things that we used to make at my household uh, was chiles rellenos. So it's mm. like stuffed poblano peppers with either melted cheese or ground beef. And then, then my dad mm. used to make a nice like strawberry mousse. Mm. Uh, it was very fluffy and... Uh, yeah, that's really Those were nice. the good old days, yeah? Yes. You'll be fixing up some nice Christmas dinner, this one? Well, um, I was thinking of making um, a Swedish dish, or Mashri's pastry, really, uh, called Lusikater, um, which is basically saffron bread. Oh, wow, I've heard uh, about that. I love the color of yes. saffron. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's also incredibly expensive, saffron. Um, it's a... Uh, Good thing it's, you're a data it's scientist. More expensive than, it's more expensive than gold by weight. Right. Um, right. Like, but you don't need a lot to, to get that like bright uh, yellow color and, and mm, lovely just like flavor. Gold. Yes, just like gold. <laughs> Indeed. My wife's Dutch, so she we do uh, St. Nicholas. That, that was a big thing with us. Uh, Sinterklaas on December yeah. 5th, yeah. right? Uh, so yes. I always found that a little bit strange because I, I lived five years in the mm-hmm. Netherlands mm-hmm. and um, the tradition feels a little bit odd to me as a foreigner with, um, I, I mean, there's all this like TV coverage on the news. Yeah. The <laughs> the news. Coming. Yeah, so they and, really go uh, out to fool the kids. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're really, yes. They're, they're like all ganged mm. up on this like mass delusion for the children. And, and they have interviews with Sinterklaas and they have the black peas, yeah. uh, which it's no longer, is, that's no longer a thing. Oh, really? They, they, they've taken that out as too, uh, non PC. Yeah. He's now a dark, a dark, <laughs> dirty peat or something, or some gray peat because he goes in chimneys. 
Fair enough. All right. <laughs> yes. Sorry, I can um, bring that up. <laughs> no, but I mean, you'd be a fool if you're a kid not to believe in Saint Nicholas, uh, in Sinterklaas in the Netherlands, right? I mean, it would, it would, it would boggle the imagination that this would all be a great big conspiracy, right? You like, yes. you would be like the tinfoil hat of kids. No, and, and indeed, and, and they make it seem so real, like he's arriving from Spain and on a boat. And um, and you can see on the news when the boat is arriving. So that that's well, all pretty cool. Keep keep it quiet. My my wife's still a, a believer. So let's not uh, <laughs> let's not spoil the illusion. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, in Mexico, we actually celebrate the three wise men. Uh, so on January sixth, mm. uh, the three wise men are supposed to you know bring gifts to baby Jesus. Oh yeah. So the three men they were wise, right? But were they? I just want to know were they data savvy? That's the that's the question. Were they data literate? I think they were data savvy, and you know the reason why is because they uh, looked into the stars mm. to to navigate, uh, presumably for for years, um, in order to to find their way uh, to Bethlehem. Uh, so they must have known at least some astronomy and how to you know calculate their position and where they were going. Thanks to that, Do you know that Slovenia has three. Santa Clauses? The two backup Santas? What's, what's the deal? So, I only just recently discovered this, but basically, they, they had the original, like, Saint Nicholas, like, based on, like, the, the actual, like, Catholic saint. And, and that just is something they absorbed from, like, being part of the Habsburg Empire. Uh, but then, when communism came around, uh, they, uh, had to create like a new, like fake Santa or, or like a communist Santa, mm. uh, and this was something that Russia had like tried to impose all over the Eastern mm. Bloc. I didn't know com- there was a commie Santa. Interesting. Yeah, there is a commie Santa, uh, and sometimes he dresses up as like a miner or uh, a factory worker or all mm. kinds of different things, and he gives gifts that are being produced in the communist factory. Um, Good thing we defeated that Santa. Uh, <laughs> well, actually, the, all three of the Santas are still around, and and uh, and, and so the third Santa was hmm. when Tito was in power um, uh, in, in former Yugoslavia. Uh, he decided at some point, like, okay, well, we're not going to do the the Russian communist Santa anymore, but rather uh, let's have. Like a uh, each country within Yugoslavia, including Slovenia, can like come up with their own version of Santa, and so that's how you got the three Santas. So you're saying we we don't have enough Santas here? Yes, I think we, we are feeling inadequate. Of Santas. Yes. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> All right. So, but while Christmas Christmas is a great time for celebrating, eating, and partying, it's also a great time for data. Good segue. Don't you think? Absolutely. A lot of data comes out at Christmas. Which is what we wanted to talk about today. Data with a festive twist? Yes. Good idea. Good idea. So, first off, gift giving. We all do Mm -hmm. it. But David, you being an economist, I would gather that you're going to be a Scrooge here, trying to make things as efficient as Uh, possible. I'm not that kind of economist, uh, Henrik. So, I'm going to tell you, I'm here to tell you, you don't have to be ashamed to give gifts. Okay. So well, why why would you think that why would you think that gift giving would be inefficient? Where's your what's your evidence base being a data dr- driven person? <laughs> well, um on my basic understanding of why economists or the the par- or 
the stereotype of an economist mm-hmm. as not liking the idea of gift giving is that it's not an efficient way of spending money. So if you don't know what the other person is going to want or need or like, then you going to buy, I know, some random T-shirt or, mm-hmm. like, or like the bowling ball example from The Simpsons, right? Yes, yes. Um, uh, he gets the bowling ball from Marge and, and you know, she clearly does With not With an H on it. That. Yes, with an age, yes. Um, but even if it's less nefarious, or not nefarious, but um, self selfish as that, yes, yeah. Uh, maybe you're actually genuinely making a good attempt at trying to guess yes, what the other person yes. so, would like. So it's this consumer sovereignty at. argument, right? Like yes. I'm going. I would be, be. The idea is that if I give you a gift and you're expected to give me a gift, that money. I can't spend it on myself, the money on myself, because I'm using it to buy you a gift, expectations, expectations. And I'm either going to buy a gift, which is something you would have bought anyways, in which case no real loss if you haven't bought it yet, yeah. no gain either, or I'm going to buy you a gift, which is something you wouldn't have bought. Now, the the, the question is, what, why do I think that me buying you a gift that is something you wouldn't have bought, why should that make you better off? In other words, wouldn't you be better off with just getting the money and being able to choose the thing you want most, right? Right. Considering that you would know more about your preferences and what's available than I should know. Yes. Yes. Because, would, right? So the economist should say, let's just give each other net transfers because I was going to give you a gift for a hundred dollars, but you're, you know, you're my nephew. You're only going to give me a seventy dollar gift. So I'll just give you thirty bucks. And we'll, we'll call <laughs> yes. it a deal, right? <laughs> yes. All right. So what, so what, so, and then there was this paper, which maybe you read or you saw all of the, all of the, uh, slobbering media promotion of it one year or another in Slate magazine about the so-called deadweight loss of Christmas. Mm, Yes. And he basically did a survey and asked his Harvard students, if I'm correct, MIT students to recall what gifts they got, put a price tag on them. And then how much they, I think it was like how much he thought they cost. Okay. And he tried to estimate what was the general loss of value there. And he found a loss of value, which is why he called it the deadweight loss of Christmas. But then other people came in and said, no, come on. This was a kind of a crappy study. Uh, there's all sorts of things you did wrong. Like, I mean, what, what, what do you, what do you think would be the, the, the problems there in, in such a, such a well, report? Well, there's a few things that come to mind. One yeah. is, I mean, part of what we value in a gift is not just the gift itself, but perhaps like the gesture that it indicates, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you've thought about me. Right, right. Or, you know, there's some kind of right, social yeah. bond between us. And I. So maybe I only valued the gift at this amount, but I actually valued something else in that transaction at a certain yes, amount. So that's exactly. a possibility. But even just the mechanics of it, it were criticized the way he did it. Um, with willingness, he talked about willingness to accept versus willingness to pay. There's a certain gap there, but but the real thing was that it was completely mm. hypothetical. They weren't auctioning them off; they were just asking them to state the amount. So when right. other people tried to replicate it with actually incentive compatible stuff, where you actually had to give the gift back, the results seemed to have uh, reversed a bit. Well, so you know the data wasn't, but you know to me, I think that's that's something that probably could use more exploration. Right? If you had lots of data. Maybe you could, I don't know, do something more more credible than these sort of short experiments people people did. I mean, the other thing that comes to mind is that there are things that, going to that point of accepting versus mm. paying for it, 
yeah. there are things yeah. that I would probably not buy for myself, but that I would be perfectly willing to mm. accept as a gift from my wife. And oh, I would actually be yeah. quite yeah. happy to. It's not that I think like this is a crappy gift. My thing is a fantastic gift. Mm-hmm. But Why it's didn't like, you buy it for yourself, Henrik? Why? Because I, I might find it like too self-indulgent or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly, um, exactly. And so it's almost the fact that it's being given to me by a third person that allows me to indulge in this thing that I would the not... permission to indulge. Yes. Exactly, exactly. Indeed. So by complete coincidence, I wrote an essay about this, and I think I'm going to read it on my other podcast. And it's going to be a test in how, how much I cringe at reading my previous writing. Uh, <laughs> so I wrote an essay for a history contest about the history contest, history conference about the ancient econ- and modern economy of the gift. So I, I mentioned what, what you're saying, basically that when I spend money on myself, I feel guilty. So if you could give me something that I don't have to feel guilty about that I have to spend on myself, I may enjoy it more. That's like one. One idea. But hold on. So you're actually cheating on us with another podcast. Tell us about that. I thought we had an open podcasting relationship. (laughs) Fair enough. I will uh, consider that in creating my own other podcast. (laughs) Oh, oh no. It was was a one-way open. I'm the the bull in this podcast. No, I'm not. I'm not. Um, Yeah, I have a podcast called Found in the Struce, uh, which is me babbling. I haven't had any – I had one guest. And me babbling, reading things – that no one would actually read in their entirety. I'm actually reading in their entirety. Um, but so, yeah, you're reading them on the podcast, or you read them the, into the podcast. Sometimes something okay. I wrote, something someone else wrote. Anyways, back to the back to the videotape. So yeah, I'm gonna now I'm gonna tell you all of my theories. So there's the <laughs> there's that one. Then there's if you give a gift to someone else, you as the giver actually derive part of the pleasure. Right? Yes. So we have these things that we think of as public goods in general. So you, you, you derive pleasure in the giving, but you might also get to like have a taste of it. And so we talk about public goods. Have you heard about the idea of public goods, right? Yes, yes, of course. So you could also have public goods in relationships. I could also like buy a, I could buy you a new jacket because I really want to see how this jacket looks. <laughs> you know, and I get to see my friend wearing a cool jacket. It makes me cool by, by proxy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, also it's just, the idea was it sustains relationships. Um, because it's sort of this tr- trust game, right? It's like when you're at the bar, when you're at the pub in England, right? Someone buys rounds, someone else buys rounds. So it, it maintains a certain level of trust. So, I mean, there's all sorts of reasons why you might think that gift giving actually could have a lot of value, even recognizing that I may not know as much about what you like as as you do being in your own head because maybe also regret aversion could be something that gets minimized because if i spend my own money on something i might feels like oh uh was that a good use of my money whereas if it was just gifted to me then it's like well that's kind of like the guilt thing, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's similar, similar perhaps. Yeah, similar, similar to the guilt thing. Yeah. So you, you know that this um, this time of the year is when huge amount of the – I mean, everyone knows this, that a huge amount of the economy moves, right? They say, oh, was this Christmas gift-giving? Was this Christmas season a good one? Was this holiday season a good one? Same thing with, with charitable donations. People talk about the uh, given season. Um, 
is this a big time at, at Perfusion? Is this something that, or have your clients, do your clients often reach out to you and, and say, oh, oh, how, how do you, how big do you think the Christmas season is going to be for us this year? Um, it does impact what we do at Perfusion, but not so much because they're asking us to like create like some kind of forecast of what may happen, but rather it's more about making sure that this period, especially around like Black Friday, is not misused. Uh, like, there's a lot of, mm. I think, nervousness about making sure that nothing goes wrong. Uh, and so we've done a couple of projects of like trying to get customer service agents to be as efficient as possible. Mm. We've um, also, if there's anything like very experimental, like, oh, let's try this new marketing campaign or, or whatever. Usually it's not something that any of our clients are willing to try out during Black Friday uh, because it's just mm. considered way too high risk. Interesting that there's an asymmetry there, right? Like it could be, if it's a high risk, it could be you want it before Black Friday. Well, that was a month ago, but you know, yeah, uh, Christmas season because you could, you could win big with it, right? But I guess there must be an asymmetry in these companies about blame versus reward. Yes. Could that, could so that be I it? So. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, I, I mean, it's, it's bound to, to go well, even if you mm. do something rather bland. Mm. But if you take mm. a high risk and things yeah. turn out poorly, then yes, that, that, yeah, that, that could cause a lot of blame, perhaps. And maybe most innovations don't work out. You could say, let's, if we're going to test an innovation, let's, let's try it on the, on the unimportant days. Yeah, exactly. I remember when I was looking at uh, sort of na na national consumer expenditure data, you do see, it used to be at least, huge huge swings. A huge portion of the spending does happen around this time of year. And also with giving, I, I, you see a lot of uh, fundraisers going on. I was thinking, David, is there something to be said about more intangible gifts versus more concrete ones? I know some of the happiness research, like in positive psychology, they talk about things like, having an experience is often um, valued more or, or creates more, let's say, happiness points than getting a physical object of some kind. I've, I've heard the same. Yeah, there's these people saying you should spend money on experiences because you'll remember that more than the, than the physical object. But, you know, there's different ways of measuring happiness and checking in with it. I don't know that – I mean, I trust it in general, but I don't know if I always trust it for these comparisons. Right. Because, I mean, you're asking them, if I'm asking someone to reminisce about a holiday, they're going to be enthusiastic about it. And then there's also the, you know, do I ask people about their status, life satisfaction or do I ask, there's one method where you check in with people from time to time and say, yeah. how are you right now? So, yeah, I mean, there, there's got to be, there's got to, you know, there probably is something to it. So maybe at the margin, the decisions people make that are more experience based are bringing them more happiness now, but it can't be that like, I should spend all my money on vacations and and live in milk <laughs> milk milk cartons or something, right? <laughs> Maybe not. Um, and certainly, I guess you know, if you bought like a nice sweater or a nice pair of trousers or whatever, yeah. um, I mean, that's clearly a very physical object. But I guess you, you enjoy the experience of mm -hmm. using that over maybe you know a few years and. I don't. I, I don't know the the studies and the data. It would be interesting to check into whether it was like. When they ask people directly about the gifts or, you know, did this, did buying this sweater, how happy do you feel about the sweater? Or are they, or are they somehow trying to use this to measure people's life 
general life satisfaction, right? But you can right. imagine how difficult would that be to do? How, you know, are we randomly giving holidays to people versus randomly giving wardrobes to, uh, clothing <laughs> to people? Right. And, and then assessing their satisfaction down the road. I somehow doubt that that, that a massive controlled trial was done in that way. Okay. All right. I'm skeptical of everything. Sorry. Sorry about that. Talking about intangible gifts, mm -hmm. uh, you have one for us, which is the brand new theme tune yes. to our correlation game. Which I'm forcing you to listen to, which is a gift to me. Exactly. <laughs> so let's remind everyone how this sounded. Is it? Is it? So I really wanted to know more about this. I, I know you put a lot of time into this, but I don't really know everything that went into this theme tune. Uh, it's, it seems like there's some hidden messages within it. Oh, it's full of hidden messages. Subliminal and liminal. Um, let me ask you. So if you were going to make a theme about a theme song about a correlation game, what would you want to illustrate in that theme song? What well, are we asking I them guess about? What we typically ask them about is something positive, negative, or no correlation. Or no correlation, right? So what do you hear in the theme? What instruments do you hear? So I do notice that there's like a tune that goes up and something that goes down. So I guess that could be positive and right. negative. That's what I'm babbling, yeah. Um, well, it's, oh, no, that's okay. not positive. Oh, you're actually saying though. it's not. Okay. No, that's not. That's not. That's well. If I think, what's a correlation? It has to be a relationship between two things, right? Yes. Yes. So two data series, let's say. Yes. Right. So it could be, and those data series can be varying over time, or it could just be varying over individuals. Right? Yeah. We just say in or in many of our examples, countries, right? Mm -hmm. So if the correlation is positive, what would that mean? An increase in one means an increase in the other. Tends to be associated with an increase in yeah. the other, right? Not always, but it tends yeah. to be associated. No causation is necessarily implied. So if I look at each of those, if I think of each of those series as a musical line, if I have two lines that are both varying, mm -hmm. right? They both, they both have to be varying. The, the word, is, well, it's not called covariance, but covariance is related to correlation. As we know, the Pearson co correlation coefficient is the uh, I believe the covariance of the two divided by the product of the standard deviations of each one. Is that correct? It's a, a no, that's the normalized that measure. <laughs> so that's why it becomes between negative one and one. Right? Yeah. So if one series is going up in frequency mm -hmm. or in volume or in, in some feature, right? We talk about the sure. correlation between line one's frequency. Yes. If I want them to be positively correlated. Where, what should the other one be doing if we're talking about over time? Correlation over time. Be increasing as well. Right, exactly. So we've got the two lines going up. And then in the second one where I say negative, what do you hear in that second one? Do you remember? Uh, is like the tone going down, but the volume is going mm -hmm. up? Mm -hmm. No? Should we listen to it again? Sure. So what did you hear for the second one where I say neg said negative? Uh, it sounds like the tune is going down. But one of the lines, you didn't hear one of the lines was going up and the other line was going down? 
Oh, interesting. No, no, I, I couldn't make that out. So one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm not very musical. No, that's okay. That's okay. Okay, so that was the idea anyway. So if I have one line going up, if I have both lines going up or both lines going down, mm. you know, both things decreasing over time, or I have as I as I if I look at individual as I increase your wealth, your happiness also increases. Sure. Positive correlation. But then when, if one's going up while the other's going down, we got the famous negative correlation. Then at the end, I said near zero, right? But what did you hear there at the, for the third sequence? I actually heard your voice saying no correlation. Okay. Yeah. Fair Um, enough. But (laughs) note wise, frequency wise, uh, the frequency wise, um, yeah, that was a lot less clear to me. Um, well, there was something mathematically incorrect about if, if we're looking at the correlation in the frequencies of the muted trombone line, the unmuted trombone, and the unmuted trombone line, did the third one express a zero correlation or something else? I'm not sure what I'm hearing in the last one. <laughs> so you hear a chord, right? Yeah, Stasis. Frequencies yeah. unchanging over time. Sure. Correlation coefficient. In the denominator, we have the standard deviation of each of each of the two series. Sure. Well, what's what's the standard deviation of a of a single note staying in place? What's well, not defined? It's it's well, it's it's zero. So the the zero in the denominator yields That's undefined. Right. So if I have two series that don't change, they're not zero correlation. There's just an undefined correlation. So sure. then I made a better version of it. So shall we queue up the um the the improved version? Okay. Is it? Is it? Hear you a difference? Well, it sounds like you have some extra instruments in there. Yeah. On the third one, there's an I added an extra track. So now play the track that just says um, trombones zero correlation. Yeah. Okay. So do, do you see a relationship between those two? Are they going in the same direction, different direction? Uh, to me, it just sounds like it goes back and forth. Do, 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 yeah, there's do, there's two lines, and it's hard to make out. So there's basically zero correlation, but they're both varying. One's going up. Actually, interestingly, like if they were the same exact lines going up and down, boom, boom, then we'd get positive correlation. Right. But if we phase shifted it a little bit, then one right after the other, then it's probably close to a zero correlation. So anyways, that's my attempt to mathematically correct the theme song. And I think all theme songs should be mathematically correct. Like, you know, Stepford and Sons, that had a very mathematically accurate theme song. Night Court. Totally. There were no <laughs> inconsistencies there. Anyways, that's the kind of gift that I have to belabor an explanation of. The best, the best Christmas gift. <laughs> Indeed. At Christmas lectures, those are the best ones. You need to promise me to play a song later to make up for this long explanation. Uh, c- could be done. So one thing I wanted to think about was, uh, especially since we had Michael Brennan last time talking about data protection, is what data protection laws should be applying to Santa Claus? That's a very good question. I mean, he has this list of naughty and good children. 
theoretically, if you're an EU data subject mm-hmm. or a UK data subject, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, you can request for all your data to be scrubbed off of Santa's databases. What, what kind of servers does he have, though? Does he, does he have a cloud server? What is he, I, I what is he using? I would think it would be cloud server, maybe okay. powered by some reindeers or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, also, uh, one of the, the other aspects of GDPR law is that you can ask for the decisions to not be made in an automated way, right? So you could ask Santa to make an individual judgment call about you without using an algorithm. Oh, so how, how do I make? A, but how do I make a decision about someone without using an algorithm? If I have, you know, he only probably he only gives presents to Christian children, so that's or people from Christian countries, so that's like uh, three billion people, no, two billion maybe. How are we going to make an individual decision about two billion people? You're advising a client, right? Yeah. What What do they do about this? Or is it is it that everyone has to opt in for that? That's another good point. Do do does he need to get consent from all these children or the parents, mm. uh, or is can this fall under legitimate interest? Like you know, I, I can't run my operation as Santa without this information. Well, I'm not familiar with. So there are loopholes. There is exceptions to the to the GDPR. Yes, there is this generic thing called legitimate interest that says like, well. <laughs> If I need to know this as a business, then I I don't need to explicitly ask for permission. Time out. Santa, uh, I don't think it's a business. At least I don't see how his profit model works, right? Have you ever seen people, we, we send checks to Santa? No. We give him like some, people give like cookies and milk. If it's the same as, as uh, Sinterklaas, people are putting like carrots in their shoes. Those are not, you can't resell that stuff. So what, what if he's a nonprofit? Does that... How does the legitimate thing work there? Uh, well, it, it's the same kind of thing. If you need to, if you need this for the operation of your organization, then this is okay. considered to be okay. That seems fair. I, I mean, a, a simple example would be: you need to have the address of your customers in order to like ship them yeah. Yeah, your, the products that that you have. And you don't necessarily say like, "Hey, is it okay that I use your address?" And to be fair, he's only got to do this for the EU countries, so right? Or does he have to? All right, let's. I mean, you're getting maybe a little bit too much into the, the detail of it, right? Does your policy have to work for the EU countries? Does it have to work generally, if you're operating in any EU countries? But I don't think that that's the most salient thing to to consider at the moment. Well, I think what I was most interested in is like if you're a child and let's say you have been a bit naughty over mm. the year, mm. is it does it work to your advantage not to? have that information given to Santa or will Santa just automatically assume that if you have been, you've exercised your right to be forgotten, whether that means that you must have been a naughty child. Uh, Yeah. I think you'd have to make that the default in terms of like a mechanism design perspective or like a, a, you know, you don't, if the person doesn't show the, the, their discount card, you just assume that they're, you know, a premium customer. Mm, so I don't think, I don't think that that, that that could really, uh, work well. And I, by the way, I said two billion children, but what percent of the population is children? I think adults sort of don't get gifts and that I, there's no, I don't think that the naughty nice vector affects their gift receipts at that point. So what the, you, you, especially Europe's aging population. 
So I don't know. What do you That's think? True. 20, 10, 10 to 20% of the population is a child. Yeah, I would think so. It's more, it's more manageable. It's more manageable, but still it's, it's, it's a hassle. We got to deal with GDPR, you know, just, it's a fact of the business, the business climate these days. I guess Santa is probably doing the, the correct thing now. So, um, all right. Well, I think that's enough data for Christmas, possibly. Uh, shall we look back, not in anger, but in celebration of our, uh, series so far? Yes. That's a good time for reflecting back mm. before the year ahead. Uh, what are the most interesting things that you've enjoyed or learned from our interview so far? I okay, so we had Michael Brennan on data protection, mm-hmm. and he's I think a person that likes to discuss big picture. He likes to think of themes and big picture. On um, we also had Toby Toby Jolly, who mm-hmm. is a little bit more detail, very much more detail oriented, and we got into a lot of the intricacies of everyone's favorite topic: civil service and data. And I was surprised by some of the, a little bit surprised by by some of the stuff, or at least it was good to to know and confirm what the major projects were there and their use of that that they use R so much and not uh, Python. And then we had before that we had Darren Robinson's with had the Save the Children project, and we also he also had his own project on this, this educational initiative. Yes. And then our, going back, our first guest was Pierre Luigi. Uh, of the shell. shell, yeah. So, what do you, I don't know? What? How about you? Um, I'm still really impressed by that fact mm. from Pierluigi that Shell is the largest retailer in the world. Like that, still kind of blows my mind a little bit because I, I don't, I just don't think of Shell as a retailer, but no. they are. I mean, it's not all of their business clearly, but, but it is a. Um, yeah, but it's it's a retailer that you don't care about in the sense that like <laughs> no what i'm saying is it's like a utility you know just, okay it's just gas just pump it in the thing i mean there isn't that much differentiation was my at least my take on it right well, but how much do i care about a 7-eleven i still like if there's a 7-eleven versus a what's the what's the competitor 7-eleven in your in your area the 612 um I know that if I go to a 7-Eleven, I can buy really terrible hot dogs and, like, these these icy drinks that taste like soap. Yeah. Right? There's something there. Whereas if I go to a Shell, it's not like, oh, this gasoline has just a little whiff of, you know, <laughs> tar and uh, <laughs> goat's no, fair, musk. Fair enough. Fair enough. Think about uh, moving forward. Yeah. I know we have a couple of guests lined up. Uh, we have an interview coming up with OBR and open also banking, open banking reporting. Yeah, that's good. And cool. and then we have another interview coming up with UCAS, which helps students oh, yeah. across the UK. I had a lot of experience with that as a as a lecturer. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, so we have a lot of great episodes coming up. A lot of great interviewees from a variety of different backgrounds so Mm -hmm. uh, keep listening and uh, see you in the new year with our our new episodes but before we go uh, you promised us some tuba playing if you'll sing along yeah why not yes and we want to bring in our producer James to we couldn't have done it without him hello thank you for teaching me so much about data 
over the weeks, guys. I've learned so much. I mean, especially I've learned that um, Henrik once uh, put a whole salmon on his face. A frozen salmon. <laughs> that, yes. that was the that was the biggest thing I learned all series. I think that's really important for data scientists. Let me pick up the monster. Let me pick up the monster over here. So, so what are we singing, David? We're going to sing uh, a classic by Paul Simon and uh, Peter Garfunkel, known as the. Silent Night. Mm. Shall I put the mic? Miking a tuba is one of the great challenges of audio engineering. Remember, you can contact us at PRFSN on Twitter or by email at hello at perfusion.com. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and see you next year. Bye-bye.